You can sit down. Now we'll see the true test. Younger men and women, boys and girls, stand up. Look around. Do you see any older man and woman that you care for, that you respect and admire? Have you ever considered investing in a relationship with any of them? Thank you. You can sit down. I'm not sure that Pastor Paul even stood up for either category. (sighs) Just hard to decide, isn't it? Just forever young. I think most of you know how to express and receive affection and concern. If you're older and you're thinking about a younger person, food, pizza, donuts, care packages, those that are going to North Island College or, or Nanaimo to university. You know, last night, sitting around, what a privilege to be with 20, 25 young adults who are wanting to serve the Lord, wanting to be involved in missions. You can teach them. They can learn from you. Affirmation, pats on the back. Young men and young women that come in here, encourage them. And do it the other way around. Everyone loves, most people love a hug of encouragement. Phone calls. Paul was in prison when he wrote this book. He was, he was a shut-in. And yet he was still seeking to encourage through letters. And don't forget, in the midst of this, to show concern for spiritual growth through honest questions. How are you doing? How are you doing with the Lord? How's it going at university in that secular environment? Praying. And sharing biblical promises to say, you know, this is something that the Lord shared. I want to give it to you. I want to give you a few examples of affectionate relationship from our cross-cultural ministry in Vancouver. Two years ago, a gypsy family arrived. Father, mother, two children, a son-in-law, and a granddaughter. They arrived at New Hope Community Services. They hardly knew any English, but using Google Translate and lots of hugs and smiles and gestures, we got to know them. And we celebrated birthdays and we... We had many happy occasions. Over time, the son-in-law, William, came to know the Lord, and I spent many hours with him. It was very sad when we exhausted all the appeals and the whole family had to be deported back, even though they were clearly at risk. But at the airport, the patriarch, the, the, the father, said to a number of us gathered there, he says, I have never experienced such love in my life, and I don't think I ever will again. Fast forward to a year ago, an Iranian refugee arrived and became part of our faith family. And partway through the year, he asked Pastor Jack, he says, can I have a, he's seen some testimony, he says, can I make a testimony here? So Jack talked to him and thought, you know, we don't usually have Muslims giving testimonies in a Christian church, but yes. So our dear friend with a great big walrus white mustache came up with a twinkle in his eye and he says, I'm a Muslim, but I continue to come to this church because of the love and acceptance I feel here. Later last summer, Jack and I had the privilege of leading him to the Lord, and then he was baptized prior to him being deported as well. Kind of tears at your heart, but (laughs) we sent him out as a missionary. Just recently, I invited a dozen young men who have been coming to our leadership development classes, which happen on Friday mornings where we study things from Islam, uh, mental illness, First Nations. And this time... I said, I just want these 10, 12 men to come by invitation only because we usually have about 25 mixed group there. 
And so I challenge them to become involved in the mentoring process, for them to mentor others, for them to choose a mentor. And then I treated them to a home-cooked steak dinner, the food aspect. My relationship really grew in that time, not because of the steak, but because of the fact that I was showing interest in their spiritual development and growth. And one of them is um, now coming to me with every week, and we're going out into the city. It's not just for men. I met a woman named Barbara from North Van a week ago, and she told me an exciting story of how she opened her home. She was wanting to reach out to single women, and she had a single woman as a friend. So she said, can you come to my home, and we'll go through a study together. Well, that woman talked to others, and the first meeting, there was eight women coming, and they wanted to know. And then they talked to their friends, and so a couple weeks ago, I mean, a couple days ago, when she talked to me, she said there were 18 women, 18 single women, Some of them always single, some of them recently single, some of them widowed, that wanted this affectionate relationship. So she's got a good problem. So let's move on. Affectionate relationship, active relationship. Verse 3 says, Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul had labored with these people. He had done ministry with them. He had been there probably as the church was formed. He encouraged them to be active and rejoicing. Rejoice in the Lord always. He knew what they were facing. They knew what he was facing. Rejoice in the Lord always. Be active. He encouraged them to be active in trusting. He encouraged them to be active in praying. He encouraged them to be active in their faith. When I look at the example of Jesus and Paul, it was not sitting down in a classroom setting and the know-it-all teacher imparting information. They were active together. They walked together. They talked together. They traveled together. They prayed together. They ate together. They ministered together. In essence, they did life together. There was a mutual investment into the relationship. And I don't like the false dichotomy in North America where spiritual things happen on Sunday and special occasions and then the rest of life happens. No. Our lives are to be given over to the Lord. And mentoring and spiritual development can occur just as easily and maybe more easily as men golf or fish or curl together, as families take their children to the pool or to the beach, as women gather informally for tea or scrapbooking, as people share barbecues or picnics. Older men and women, involve younger men and women in your lives actively. Do portions of your life together. And in these relaxed contexts, encourage your mentees to pray, to trust, to rejoice, to be active in their faith through your example and your testimony and your words. Do life together. You all have them, whether it's your children, your grandchildren, someone who's at McDonald's. There's a number of Filipinos here cross-culturally that would love to have a North American grandparent. I heard a sad story from Nabil Qureshi of a Saudi who came to university in North America with a suitcase full of presents that he was going to give to the people that invited him into their home. 
into their home, yeah. Two years later, he left, and all the gifts were still in the suitcase because he was never invited. Invite people into your home. Do life with them. Last Friday, there were 26 out for leadership development as we learned about life in North Korea. I got two Korean friends to prepare the meat, and I put together bulgogi and fried vegetables and day-old breadsticks and pies. Time to keep the budget. After the class, the participants who were from Poland, Philippines, Pakistan, Argentina, England, United States, Ghana, Fiji, Iran, and Canada enjoyed a Korean meal together. And rich conversation, Christ-centered conversation happened about the persecuted church in Korea. On Saturday, I prepared and served a huge pot of chili for about 175 men and women on Hastings Street. And the team that came and helped me, along with my dear wife, were from Argentina, Philippines, Peru, Congo. And we had amazing conversations with these people on the street. They were so thankful we were able to pray with them. It was certainly worth the investment. On Saturday, on Sunday, I facilitated a meal for about 140 people from church where there were folks from Mexico, Burundi, Peru, Argentina, Korea, Philippines, Hong Kong, Taiwan, Malaysia, Fiji, Trinidad, Iran, Europe, and Canada. We had a visitor from Campbell River, and she was just blown away because it's pretty monocultural in Campbell River, and it's still here, but it's changing, and she couldn't believe the diversity. That is just a cross, and that's happening all over the lower mainland. There are more Sikhs coming to Gudwaras to seek temples in Vancouver than anywhere else in the world outside of India. Abbotsford is like two cities with Sikhs on one side and Caucasians on the other. You've got a few little pockets in, in Langley and maybe Chilliwack that are more Caucasian. But it's changing. We simply are not having enough children as Caucasians to maintain. And we're having all sorts of immigration. Canada has allowed 25,000 uh, people from Syria to come in to be sponsored to come in in the next few years. And Muslim folks are having many more children. So it's changing, and it will come. Victoria, I was in Central not long ago, and we went to the Sikh temple there, and um, there is more ethnic diversity. And it'll come here too. Well, all that food, some people say, why do, I always, why do you always have food at events? Because eating together is one of the easiest and best ways for people to do life together to have active relationship. When I used to be in Africa and I would teach African cultures, there was a, a proverb or there was a saying that you don't eat with your enemies because you're vulnerable. You put your head down, you might get a spear in the back. So you eat with friends. You eat with people who you trust. And the act of inviting people into your home or going to their home and having a meal is huge. It's very important, especially cross-culturally. There are great returns for your investment. I'm sure you older men and women can find ways to be active with younger men and women. I'm sure you can. Bethlehem Walk, McDonald's, Sandcastles. A couple of ministry examples of doing life with young men. When I was in Campbell River, the Sikh temple was just across the field from the Baptist church. We had the Sikh temple, the Anglican church, and the Baptist church all in this field. So I went over there. I smelled the chai, and I went over and... and um, sat and talked to people, and then we were able to take teams of students in to clear the broom. And we, take, we had a missions com, um, weekend where we invited people from the Sikh temple to come and teach our ladies how to do cooking, and the men played volleyball. So, of course, when I got to Vancouver, it was natural for me to seek out the local Sikh temple. 
And I walked in. The first day I was there, the Lord led me to a, a priest who spoke English. Most of them don't. But I came in and I just said to him, I'm a follower of Jesus. And he says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You're my neighbor. I want to love you. And so he shook my hand and he smiled. And we've had a wonderful relationship. He invited, he and his wife invited Catherine and I to their, their home not long ago. And we hope to reciprocate that. But we have an open door. And when we have teams that come from Campbell River or um, Courtney, Victoria, Kamloops, Parksville, you can come and you can come and visit Harminder and Dupinder and, and these others and learn their stories and realize that a man with a turban and a long flowing robe is not threatening. He's just like you and I, great guy, humble, and we can engage with him and probably find it much easier to talk about spiritual things than your Caucasian neighbor. Another example relating to Islam. When I did a course on Islam during the Friday leadership classes, I mentioned to participants that I'd never been turned down when I offered to pray with my Muslim friends. So a couple weeks later, one of my mentees said, I met a Muslim in the food bank line. I asked him if, if I could pray for him, and he said, yes. So we haven't had that turned down yet. Last week, it was pushed because I went to a shop, and I, I talked to someone, and this guy got really, really agitated, this Muslim, and agitated and right in my face saying that I was going to go to hell and I needed to embrace Islam and everything. But I just kept smiling at him. And when he took out money and he was saying, you have all these different gospels, he was referring to translations. And they're, which one do you know is true? They're all counterfeit. So I said to him, I said, that's really great. I hardly know you and you're already offering me money. So he realized it wasn't going to work for him to be upset with me. And so now we're going to go out for coffee together. But a very exciting example of praying with Muslim friends happened at a restaurant. And the cook... I asked him if I could pray, and I asked him what he would like. I've known him for a number of years, what we could pray with him about. And he said, my wife and I want to have children, and we haven't been successful. So I said, can we pray for you? He said, yes. And then later we went when he wasn't very busy another day, and we opened the scriptures and showed him how God had opened the wombs of many women through scriptures. And we prayed with him again. And then about a month later, he called me and said, we're expecting. And they're due any day now. You know, I don't routinely pray for women to, <laughs> to have kids, but I trusted, and the Lord was faithful. And often in Muslim lives, it's, it's these sorts of miraculous things that happen that are drawing people from Iran to Christ. They're seeing dreams of Christ appearing to them. So he attributes this baby to our prayers, and we always refer to him as a miracle child. And you can imagine that that has created a much closer relationship with him. So, um, affectionate relationship, active relationship, and finally, authentic relationship. This is back to um, Philippians 4. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, lovely, commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. I think that's what scared me off mentoring. <laughs> what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. In other words, he's saying, 
As Paul said, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. I confess that that's heavy, and that's probably what prevented me from mentoring for a long time. I didn't think I had it together enough to have others follow my example. However, it's a clear command, and it's an amazing privilege to be able to walk with these young men. Wow. I mean, it's just rejuvenating. It keeps me so excited when I go to work. I tell people, I don't, have, I don't go to work. I just have fun. And we have the clear promise that God will be with us. So what more do we need? I think that you're all capable of showing love and concern in genuine ways. Affectionate relationship. I think you're all capable of inviting people along with you and doing life together. Active relationship. Now we just need to be authentic. Be real with your mentees or your mentors. Focus on the good things, those things that are true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, and excellent. But be appropriately honest about your struggles and failures as well as your strengths. I say appropriately. You can figure that out, and that may change as the relationship grows. If your spiritual gift is hospitality, teach your mentee how to be hospitable, how to cook. If, you're, if it's mercy, teach your mentee how to listen and comfort. If your skill is fixing cars, teach your mentee how to fix, so that, uh, fix a car so they can bless others. I ask my mentees to pray for me. I share with them about my challenges of being a father, a grandfather, a husband. I ask for forgiveness when I know my attitude is not being Christ-like. I try not to be hypocritical. There's no way I'm not perfect. I make lots of mistakes, but I try to be authentic and not hypocritical. As I draw to a close, I'm going to share just a minute and a half of a video. It's primarily addressed to male leaders, but it applies equally to everyone here. While it challenges the older men and the women of the church, I want to say to younger men and women, you don't have to wait to be approached by an older mentor or mentee. You are responsible for your spiritual growth and you have seen the teaching and the examples today of the biblical pattern of mentorship. You have the privilege and responsibility to seek out a spiritual mentor, even as older men and women have the privilege and responsibility to seek out mentees. It will be the greatest investment of your life. So if there's one takeaway from today, it would be the following. Would you please pray and ask the Lord to speak to you about this important topic of mentorship or leadership development? There would be real wisdom in talking to your pastors and saying, you know, I'm open for that. Could you maybe connect me with somebody that... And what a, what a privilege. But you, you've all got your connections. Just show affectionate love, active love, authentic love. So we'll show this past this short video clip, and then I will close. It's entitled, A Museum or a Movement? standing in a museum that used to be a church. In 1887, Pastor Henry and his wife Grace planted this church in a one-room schoolhouse just down the road. And in 1888, they were able to build this building. And they passed on their love for this community because of the gospel to a generation. And things were going really well. 
but two generations after this church was planted, it died. You can see the pictures behind me of the faithful members of this congregation, and many of them lie in the graveyard behind the church. This church had a man crisis. It was men who made this church come alive, and it's probably men who caused this church to die in churches when men stop investing in younger men, younger men stop caring. That's probably what happened to this church, and that's definitely what's happening in our churches. Older gentlemen do not know how to finish well. They don't know how to invest. And so middle-aged men don't know how to stay married. They don't know how to stay connected to the hearts of their children. And so younger men don't even want to be men. And so younger men are prolonging their adolescence. And they're doing this residentially. Guys in their 20s and early 30s, a third of them live with their parents. That's a 100% increase in the last 20 years. They're doing it professionally. Men 18 to 42 will change jobs. I just wanted you to hear that first part. We are one generation away from losing the church. The challenges that our young people are facing are monumental with Islamization of North America, with the agendas from secularists, humanists, the homosexual agenda. I mean, in my time, it would be preposterous to think that Trinity Western would be denied the ability to train lawyers. So you need to leverage the corporate wisdom of what you have learned through the challenges of you growing up as a Christian and pass those principles on to younger men and women who indeed will then pass them on to others. I'm excited and thrilled to see the life and vitality here in Parksville, to look out and to see all you folks. But I want, my prayer is that it'll continue generation after generation to continue to be a light and a beacon here. It'll truly be a movement. And may this never be a museum. Thank you.